Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Jad Chirlawi, CEO of Sistelos. Sistelos is a platform for improving advisor collaboration and communication with their clients, as well as providing intuitive feedback that helps create a reinforcing cycle of better client experience and development. And with that, here's me with Jad. Good afternoon, Jad. Hi, Jason. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good. Always good to see you. So, Jad Shalawi of Sistelos, tell us about Sistelos. So, uh, Sistelos is a platform that's enabling uh, advisors to shift their value proposition mm-hmm. from uh, only managing investments to inspiring actions that uh, create more wealth, more well-being, and a bigger social impact for clients. I feel that uh, the advisory profession is at an inflection point, mm-hmm. and uh, this offers uh, a great opportunities uh, for advisors that want to reinvent where they compete, as well as uh, to the clients they serve. Okay, that is, a, that is a big, tall promise and big, tall order. So we're going to dive into that. But before we do, we are akin in many ways in that we both started off as financial planners or advisors and essentially have evolved into also being fintech founders. So yeah. tell me your story and how that happened. So uh, it's a mix of uh, an existential crisis and uh, the initiative to act on it. And uh, uh, I feel that uh, we, we are at this uh, um, turning point mm-hmm. where on one end, uh, the old way that the financial advisory profession used to operate uh, is starting to become obsolete. And there are new and trends commoditized, yeah. and very commoditized. Yeah. I agree, Jason. And uh, um, there are some new ways that we can create value and uh, deliver it and communicate that we did that are enabled by technology. And uh, often uh, there is a quote that I like uh, to repeat and to share with uh, the people uh, with whom uh, I have this conversation. Is, uh, and the quote is that uh, technology is commoditizing investment advice, mm-hmm. but this should never happen to human relationships. I never will. Well, at least you need some pretty, pretty advanced AI before that gets there. And I agree. I mean, I have this conversation with people all the time who are terrified of the concept of AI and how it can be the most devastating force to job job growth in history. And there's some a lot of truth to that, to repetitive tasks. I mean, like we talk about people in, in paperwork and back office processing jobs. Sorry, those jobs are probably not long for the future. But anyone who's facing another human being who has to liaise something, it's a very different experience, very different situation. And uh, I have to agree fully with what uh, you're sharing, Jason. And um, so so this is actually the the existential crisis that I had. And Mm -hmm. uh, I came to a point where I, I started feeling that the real value that I create is not communicated on an investment statement. It's when I have this meaningful conversation that transformed the way someone behaves with their money mm-hmm. and that, that transformed their life as a consequence yep. to this decision. So I, I really feel that uh, the role of uh, an advisor is to be this uh, objective set of eyes on a subjective situation mm-hmm. and help clients uh, make the right trade-off to create uh, the result and the impact that they're looking for. And in order to do that at scale, you need to have the bandwidth to have these type of conversations and the ability to start identifying when they need to happen. And this is where technology comes into play and allows this kind of value to be created at scale. 
Okay. So before we dive into what the platform does and how it enables people to have these kinds of conversations at scale, let's talk about the underlying trends that you feel are driving the need for this kind of change. So you're specifically about the behavioral changes and what people say versus what they do and how we can coach along that. Can you elaborate on what you uh, what you believe there? So there are, there are definitely a few trends uh, mm -hmm. uh, that are right now making this opportunity uh, very timely. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll start with the one that you just shared with me, Jason. So um, when people sit down in a meeting and tell you something. Sometimes it reflects reality, but sometimes there's a disconnect between what people say and what they end up doing. Yeah, I never believe survey data. I believe analysis on what they've actually done. A hundred percent. We're notorious for not being great at self-assessment. And no. when I say we, I mean every human being. And there's a few reasons why this happens, actually. Mm -hmm. First of all, uh, we have to ask ourselves uh, about how mindful are we when it comes to some behaviors, uh, keeping in mind that uh, we all have blind spots, yeah. uh, we all have some biases, and sometimes when we get emotional, our actually ability to evaluate what's happening in a lucid way gets uh, uh, jeopardized. Yeah. But there's another element that comes uh, at play in the advisor-client relationship, and it's this element of, of an observer bias. You sit down in front of an advisor, you're trying to project a certain image to make sure that he or she looks at you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So this actually distorts uh, the understanding uh, of uh, any person into this conversation, and it influences the results. And last but not least, words means different things for different people. Yeah. So high risk, uh, medium risk, or low level of risk would mean completely different things to you, Jason, and to me. Yeah, and just how we, how we state the questions and how we organize the answers has an impact on how people respond to them. And how many questions we've asked. Because exactly. by, by question number 30, <laughs> yeah. probably you wanting Just to finish... this. Oh, my God. You, yeah. Exactly. You wanting to finish this questionnaire is a bigger driver than you giving the best answer to that question. So when you look at all of that, I agree with you fully that going back to observing what people do versus what they say becomes fundamental to give advice and to influence the right behavior. No, I agree with you. I think the... Um, especially... You know, I think the example I think of recently was there was a survey done in Canada that asked clients, do you have a financial plan? And then asked some other questions about like about what that plan looked like and was included in it. And, and it was like 75% said yes. And then the first, I see this headline number, so 75%. I'm like, there is no chance. Unless unless the prospects that come in my door are the 25% that don't, and like mm -hmm. I just seem to get all the 25%. The uh, then you dug into data and it said 35% of those of the 75 said that the plan was in their head. Yes. That's not a financial plan. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. So again, and you ask people like, do you have your life together in order? Who wants to say no? Yeah. Right. Like, so you're absolutely right. It's, you know, these, these types of things are not going to be judged based on what we, the questions we ask. It's going to be judged based on what people do. And on this one, uh, Jason, I want to share with you something too. Having a financial plan that was drafted five years ago on a piece of computer software yeah. is not a financial plan. No. I could today make everyone look like uh, the next millionaire by plugging in a few numbers yeah. in a financial projection. What really matters is the assumptions that need to get you there and how are you actually coaching behavior mm -hmm. to make sure that whatever needs to be done happens. Examples, yep. you're saving as much as you should. You're drafting the will that you've had on the back burner for the last yep. 10 years. You're putting in the right insurance policy in place to protect the family that you love. Agreed. And all these different moving pieces today are things that do not happen 
in a quarterly meeting between the client and the advisor. And they don't show up on a statement or are not disclosed in a, uh, on a return statement. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, it is, it is difficult. And it's, it's, it's interesting because you look at the academic data on financial planning and the advice and, the, and what the value of advice is. And none of them point to us being able to pick better funds or better investments. It's like investments stop at modern portfolio theory and risk tolerance. That's it. Everything else is is all the other stuff we're talking about, the behavioral side, a couple other quantitative things, and then the rest of it, they're just saying, like, we can't qualitate the value of you making sure that your clients have enough insurance so if they pass away, their kids are taken care of. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you put a number on that? 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, and when you start thinking about all these different dynamics that are necessary to drive uh, the right decision and follow up with the right action, uh, they're all... Uh, decisions that happen when someone leaves the quarterly meeting. Mm -hmm. Life happens in real time. Yes. And in order for you to be able, as an advisor, to give the right advice, we need a different way to interact with our clients while they're away from us. And I'm going to give you a very simple example that will communicate that to you. In uh, Five years ago, when you ordered uh, a food delivery, uh, you would have hoped that someone started cooking it, that someone picked it up, yeah. and that someone would come uh, within an hour uh, at your residence. And today... I just had DoorDash for lunch. Yeah. I, just, I literally just ordered that today for lunch. So yes. So, I, that, so that's a perfect example. Yeah. Today you can track yeah. someone when they started cooking, when they picked up the delivery, and when they arrived. And where uh, they are on the way to your on, place. On, yeah. on the way. So, so think about it for a second. Yeah. You can track... Of your food delivery, but what about the people managing your lifelong assets? That's not for the client. Mm -hmm. And same goes too for the advisor. What about the clients that you are actually caring for and serving and that you want to enable to create more wealth and well-being? Absolutely. How can technology come and sit between the advisor and client to change the way both parties work together to create abundance for both parties because mm -hmm. we need a new paradigm of doing business where the client and the advisor are benefiting equally and creating more wealth. And this goes back to what you just shared, the difference between managing money and managing the habits and the behavior that create money. Yeah. And this is foundational in terms of uh, a, a and communicating that, especially the uh, you know the previous guest of the show. He has um, he has this uh, kind of activity tra tracking software for what we do, and he says he's so it's amazing. After a couple of years, clients start to think that the ideas that you came up with were their ideas. <laughs> and yes. the, uh, you know, if you have a history of it, it, it shows you know the answers like what have you done for me lately? Well, here's what I've done for you since the beginning. Right. I think uh, uh, I agree with you fully that this th this feedback loop mm -hmm. is essential for many reasons. First of all. We have, as you said, selective memory, and we remember always what have you done for me lately. Yes. So seeing this actual sequence of events that led to a positive outcome is foundational to build a stronger relationship, and in a certain way, gratitude towards the effort of an advisor. Absolutely. But there's another element, too, to that that becomes foundational, is the idea of creating a positive feedback loop and an understanding of what's working in that particular relationship. Okay. So for the client, the positive feedback loop is strengthening the habit. For the advisor, the understanding of what's working is enabling the focus and the time that an advisor spends with their clients to be dedicated on what matters most. We don't want to have a cookie cutter approach where every client sits 
around the same portfolio review meeting, the same financial planning review, where often they're doing it because they have to, but they're not deriving yeah. the most value possible. I'm paying for this, so you may as well show up, and then you're sitting there and like, oh, okay, well, I guess he's looking after stuff. Yeah, I, I not that I experienced that. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely but not. Uh, in general, I mean, it's a common term I hear. So, okay, you've talked about, let's talk about what other trends do you think are pushing? So you seem to have addressed behavioral uh, understandings. You've talked about uh, communication, and we're going to get into how your platform handles all this. What else do you think is kind of coalescing right now that can help, um, that can that's creating the situation? I feel that we have a confluence of three very important uh, factors that are coming uh, mm -hmm. to the world that we live in. The first one, clients trust their mobile device much more. You remember 10 years ago where they didn't want to do anything on the phone? I put my credit card in something. What are you, crazy? Yeah. Exactly. Now we're in a situation with almost everything. It's, it's like a third yeah. limp. Well, an now, extension now, now the phone is body. the credit card in some cases. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. uh, we, we were in a world where uh, the wallet was so important. Now our credit card is our mobile phone. So yeah. this type of trust enables a completely different dynamic between the advisor and the client and a completely more intimate dynamic. Mm -hmm. So that's a very important driver. The second one is uh, this uh, appetite for transparency. And when I say appetite for transparency, uh, people want to be able to see and understand what they're buying. Mm -hmm. You can see when you have a physical good purchase through Amazon, what type of uh, decision-making process we go through. Mm -hmm. Or when an example like an Uber Eats delivery happens, we're looking for this kind of transparency. The third one, which is foundational, it's in a way tied to this ability to help people behave better with their money, is the fact that Human behavior is very complex. And if we don't have an advancement of data analytics that mm -hmm. helps us understand this personalized yeah. view. So we can collect all this data on this on what they're doing, but unless we can actually aggregate that, understand people, not just individually, but in general, yeah. and be able to gauge the feedback loop we're talking about. You enact a change, or something, something happens, or some sort of nudge, and see the efficacy of that. Exactly. Yeah, we don't, we, it's, we don't know if it's worthwhile. Okay, exactly. so tell us how Systolos does all this. So uh, the way we actually uh, do that is uh, by uh, solving a few like very uh, distinct and concrete problems. The first thing that, that I want to share with you is that today managing someone's financial life is not a very easy mission. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> easy. I love when people come to me and say, I've got an easy situation. And you're like, oh, really? Your spouse is American. You have a corporation. There's a trust involved. And she's an executive. No, you're not easy at all. And there's a lot of moving pieces. Uh, when you think about it, let's look at uh, uh, 90 days in uh, uh, the life of a financial advisor between December, January, and February. December, there was a, a major market correction. It was the worst months of the year. Yep. January, you come back trying to help out clients to build their actual uh, whole year in terms of financial habit, financial planning, yep. but they just got their December statement and it's not a very nice view on the assets. Yep. Come February, you're back into tax season, RSP contribution, yep. TFSA contribution, where should I send your tax slips? Yep. So if you see all of these moving pieces, there's a lot of friction in uh, uh, people's financial life, and the advisor is often uh, trying to play catch up, juggling all these things. a lot of one-to-one -one communication or a lot of one-to-many, it's not customized. Exactly, like, yeah. exactly. And if you start seeing that, so the first thing that we solve for is removing friction from these type of uh, financial and life events that are happening on an ongoing basis. Every year, the tax season months in February is coming. 
Yeah. And the same events are going to happen. And today we're solving them with a mix of phone calls, emails, trying to meet up with clients. So there's a lot of friction there. Mm-hmm. So as we bring in new tools to digitize and make these interactions much more seamless, we're going to start learning more about people's preferences, mm-hmm. understanding what they're trying to achieve. And this type of intelligence will enable us to start grouping clients with similar needs and being able to serve them at scale. So... We don't believe that technology should replace human beings, but Mm -hmm. we strongly believe that technology should be replacing certain tasks that we're doing on an ongoing basis, Mm -hmm. make it easier for the client first, eventually for the advisor, and eventually uh, enable advisors to start finding patterns of people that need certain things and then deliver their advice, as you've said, one-to-many versus one-to-one. Fair enough. And don't get me wrong, there's all kinds of advice that has to be delivered one-to-one. Financial plans should be delivered one-to-one, discussing initial IPSs and all that. But there's plenty of stuff that we do at one-to-many, and a lot of that is simply, to date, nothing but newsletters. Right. Yes. So let's talk about how you how you enable that communication. So uh, I'm going to give you two examples here, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to start with uh, a newsletter uh, when the market is correcting. So uh, when the market corrects, you have some clients that are worrying and some clients that are not worrying. And usually what happens is that the whole book ends up getting a newsletter saying, don't worry about the market. Yeah. We're on top of it. Yeah. This is what's happening. A, yeah. B is happening and C is happening. So what usually ends up, the reactions that ends up taking place in advisory practice are the following. When you're sending the same newsletter to everyone, some of the clients that are worrying about A are going to start worrying about B simply because you put it on their radar. So rather than reducing their anxiety level, we did the opposite. Some clients that were not even looking at the market because they hired you to do so are going to get this newsletter. Are going to feel that maybe there is something that they should worry about. I didn't realize that was going on. Oh, boy. Yeah. Exactly. And lastly, there are some clients that are already seasoned and that understand the market correction because they've done quite a few of them. And they feel that you don't know them well enough by telling them, don't worry, because they don't. And they know that this is actually a time to buy and not a time to be worrying. Exactly. So that's a perfect example on the market side of things. And going back to another example where one-to-many makes sense, today, everyone who has a family knows that having a will is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But the the numbers are the following. 50% of Canadians do not have wills. So why do we have a disconnect between what people know they need to be doing and what they're actually doing? And that doesn't even count the out-of-date ones or the ones that were terribly drafted in the first place. That's a whole different oh, story. Yeah. It's, That's a whole different story. And obviously, you see clearly where technology seen, can yeah. help. Well, I mean, there's a number of online will kits that are better than some of the practitioners I've come across, unfortunately. It yeah. is a fact. Yeah. It is a fact. And in that example of uh, will planning... I don't see any reason Mm -hmm. to have to nudge a client individually when they're not doing a well versus sending communication for a group of clients, educating them, giving them some content that's going to enable them to better understand and then slowly but surely guide them towards the behavior. Because this type of education can start happening when you have better visibility on who needs what and therefore creating better engagement and a better conversation between the client and the advisor. Great, great. So it becomes a conversation of going from one to many or one to one to one to some, right? One to the right people who need that correct message. 100%. Yeah. And this is the whole idea of uh, shifting from mass production of financial services 
to personalization at scale. So I'm going to steal this one from you, one to some versus one to many, one to some. because that, that, it really reflects much more what we've been doing. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. So I mean, you're, you're basically, and I've taken these conversations before, you're basically garnering their actions. Are they logging in every day in that market downturn to basically you know check their account? They deserve the keep calm, we're on top of this, Here's a simple reason for why this is happening. And I'll tell you, anyone who's been around long enough and put together their own newsletters has learned that, you know, you try to be provide a lot of information and all you end up doing is panicking a lot of people who shouldn't have been panicked. 100%. Right? So, and the people who basically don't want that type of behavior to be uh, to be the issue or don't basically aren't logging in, aren't concerned and aren't acting any kind of signal, providing any kind of signal that they're worried, they can be left alone. And that's uh, exactly it. And let me give you yeah. another example uh, to communicate uh, this type of uh, tools in an advisory practice. Imagine that interest rate got uh, a hike and uh, then you have a group of clients that send you a, a nudge telling you, okay, what's going to happen to my fixed income portfolio now that interest rate went up? So the first time that this happened, you answer and you communicate your views on the actual interest rate sensitivity of the portfolio and how yep. you've managed it. But this is going to happen again. And the next time it happens, imagine a world where you as the advisor, before they even nudge you to ask you about an interest rate hike, you send a preemptive message yep. where you tell them, you know what, I know this is important for you. Yep. Let me tell you what my team is doing about Because you're learning the trigger points. You learn the trigger points, and when the trigger point happens in the active world, boom, the message comes out. So what type of intimacy have we created where the clients start feeling, Jason, my advisors, knows me really deeply, me. Yeah. and imagine this after years and years and years of interaction, the type of actual intelligent data points you get mm -hmm. to be able to tighten more and more this relationship and become really uh, the person that's going to lead them to make the best decisions possible. Absolutely. And it's interesting because a lot of the, you know, you, listen, you look at the kind of the evolution of what we'll call client intimacy, right? And a lot of it is based on currently, you know, having the right number of households to be able to meet with them frequently enough, frequency of contact, typically traditional means, phone in person, because those are more intimate than, than digital. And even the digital ones are lacking in most places to date simply to email or newsletter and you know the you go, to, you go to the far extent you understand them well enough to be able to send highly personalized gifts uh, that basically happens and now you're basically now you're going back to the core of the business of what we it is we do and, and we're merging intimacy with the actual with the actual kind of realm of expertise at the same time 100 percent and uh, one other thing that I want to actually share with you, I actually want to revisit a bit this idea of uh, digital versus in person for a second sure. There is a trend in our industry where we consider anything that's a one-on-one -on -one in person and anything that happens through a mobile or a website or an email or a web app is digital. What if we actually remove for a second this distinction between what's happening and yeah. we start looking at digital as follows? Digital being a tool that enriches the in-person interaction. So as an example, uh, clients come into a meeting to actually spend time with you. What if before the meeting, throughout the three months where you didn't see them, you've managed to gather different touch points from your clients to make sure that the quality of this time that you spend together is focused on what is most relevant to them yeah. and this like customized experience. Yeah. So between the, the trigger points that you're finding, between the communications that are, that are being had, you basically have a, a picture of what's on their mind before they come in 100%. and you're structuring that. And it becomes now an enhanced experience because at the end of the day, when you think about it, if you look back at your relationship with your best clients, 
the clients that with whom you've connected so deeply and that made you feel proud of being an advisor. Mm -hmm. What usually happens? It's a mix of two things. It's a mix of moments where they feel that you know them such in a such deep way and you use this knowledge to their benefit. So this depth yep. of knowledge. Absolutely. And these moments where you made a decision in which they valued so much the leadership and the impact you had on their lives. These two things yep. are foundational. Why are we limiting this to happen only in meetings? What if we could start having this kind of moments throughout the year? What type of relationship can we have? And I think that one of the things that excites me the most about the advancement of technology is that as much as in the past we heard robos replacing human advisors. Even the robos don't say that, with the exception of Wealthfront, okay. honestly. We're not going to get into that, yeah. we've, but we've heard this narrative in the past yeah. at a certain points in time. I feel that today technology is going to bring back the advisor to what we've always supposed to be, to be from the beginning. Advising? So, <laughs> adv yeah. Advising, and yeah. it's not about selling an investment portfolio, mm -hmm. it's about doing these life-changing decisions with our clients, mm -hmm. helping them, doing the right trade-off. Yep. So this is where technology can completely uh, bring us back to what we've always supposed to be. Yeah, I agree. I think you're, t you're, you're taking a different standpoint, which is essentially I'm going to enable the best part of communication and, and value value discovery and or the discovery of an ability to, to deliver value and a delivery of value through your platform. 100%. Yeah. And it's uh, it's interesting because, I mean, one of the things we talked about was the ability to timeline, like, things we do for clients in your, in your situation. And I even said to you, you know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we go to, I actually was just at two conferences in the last week, right? One of them just on financial planning, one on advanced tax, and that alone is enough to give anyone a migraine, which I did get a migraine. Um, <laughs> and and it's like, you know, it's, it's it, I we, we oftentimes as advisors think to ourselves, like, you know, do you know how many things I do in the background? You know, the vendors I meet with, the conferences I go to, you think I go just for my sole pleasure? Like, if I was going to do something for, okay, me for pleasure, yes, I will go to a tax conference. But that's me. I'm a, I'm a different kind of human being, right? No but, judgment. No judgment. You know, no okay, judgment. No judgment. But for, but for many people, you know, they'd rather do anything but, but, right? And, you know, our ability to relay, you know, hey, I discovered these things that are valuable to this group. Yes. Right? So, again, that one, two, you know, hey... Here's my top five takeaways for business owners, my top five big takeaways for retirees, being able to segment dynamically like that and, and, and blast that message out. And again, I think to myself, of the, you know, you talked about the, the clients, you're collecting all that client information. What about the client coming into that meeting saying, oh, what are we going to talk about today? And going back over and the communication that. history, refreshing their memory as to what you've done for them lately and, right. and, and what you've stayed on top of and being able to do that. Because, I mean... It's interesting, you know, sometimes you always get, everybody's always have, has good and, and disgruntled clients. And sometimes disgruntled ones, when they're not happy, they come in and they're like, well, you know, I barely hear from you. And it's just like, you really hear from you. Have you seen my CRM records? It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is what it is, right? Um, and one other aspect I want to talk about what you what you talked about is, is that entire kind of being able to tailor that message to that type of a client, right? The solution to date has often been to focus on client fit. Yes. I'm not the best person for this, that, or the other thing, but I'm really good at this kind of, this kind of client. What you're talking about, though, is the enable this kind of one to some relationship is the ability to kind of tailor multi niche experiences. Right. Like maybe I was maybe I'm best with like business owners in an accumulation phase. Maybe I'm not as good with retirees, but I can tailor the message now around 
those different groups. And, and in a way, uh, once you start getting this kind of understanding and this type of segmentation, uh, you can actually focus on what you're really good at, and then you can use your network and the people around you Absolutely. as a support system to deal with other aspects of your business. Yeah. We're becoming a team sport. We should be a team sport. There's no, you know, I often describe my business as, you know, we focus on, you know, our knowledge is about five miles wide and 10 feet deep on yeah. every issue. Except for when it comes to advanced financial planning and tax, we're like, you know, then, then at that point, then we're like uh, 10, five miles deep and 10 feet wide. Yeah. But we can't possibly know all of it. And nor should anyone assume to, be, assume to be an expert in all of it. We need to focus on one or two areas, understand the broad nature or general stuff, and be able to work in collaboration. It's a much better result than us pretending to be all things, all people. 100%. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this brings actually a series of, uh, uh, I'm going to call them challenges, but I view them as opportunities. So... You spend uh, your whole time, life, attention, focus on these things that you're passionate about. Absolutely. Our clients don't. They have other things to focus on. <laughs> Amazingly, and we are not their first priority. Exactly. Unbelievable. Exactly. Yeah. I have actually something to share with you uh, yeah. about that. So, so uh, in reality, when you actually um, have the ability to understand all these different areas of expertise, uh -huh. your role as an advisor is to curate what is most relevant to them and to bring it in front of them yep. at the right time. Because managing attention is what's going to enable you manage, to manage engagement, which will enable clients to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. So the ability to have this kind of understanding on your practice will enable to bring the right expert, the right strategy, the right concept at the right time in front of a client to help them make the right trade off. Absolutely. I want to actually share with you something that I found pretty interesting regarding not being uh, their biggest uh, uh, priority. I fully agree that as life happens, money, finances often come on the back burner. But the American Psychological Association did a recent study and analysis about the biggest area of stress. And you know what, the, what they discovered? Is that money is more stressful than health concerns, work, family concerns, the economy, so it's actually at the top of the list. The of number course. one cause of cancer. No, I'm <laughs> quite that, but it's been something. By the way, we're, yeah. we're getting more and more research pertaining yeah. to the health impact of financial stress. Absolutely. And well, I've talked to psychologists about this, and we've talked about, I've referred to psychologists on a couple of occasions, and we talk about how our job is in a lot of ways a, unfortunately, unpaid, unpaid therapist position. We get paid for different things, but not for therapy. Yeah. But also how essentially we are... A, can be a valuable part of good psychological health. 100%. And, uh, and, and this brings actually a couple of points to the surface. The fact that it's not a top priority, but it's the leading source of stress. Absolutely. So how can an advisor bridge the gap? And secondly, I kind of like your analogy of being a therapist because... <laughs> I actually believe that when you speak about money, you speak about everything. Yep. You speak about their fears, their concerns, their dream, their Absolutely. family, their wins. Money is not the end. It is the means, right? It is the means to all of it. And I often got, you know, I often say when, when I left the former large financial institution, the, the reality was is that it just they became a numbers on a page to most people. Yep. And you lost sight of like, no, this is the little old lady being able to not only you know, retire, but being able to take her kids or grandkids on like a trip to Europe. Like, like these are the things that like, you know, are going to stay with these people for the rest of their lives and give them purpose. Yet we look at, we all too often just get caught up in the numbers of it. 
Yes, and, and um, if you define your role as you just described it, is the enabler of these life decisions where money becomes the means to an end, yeah. to a better quality of life. Where are we getting the data that we need to help give our clients the right advice to yeah. make the right decision? So that's a big question mark. And another even more philosophical question mark, I like the ad that Tangerine does saying, what is money? It used to be these bills and now it's money that you don't see money. Mm-hmm. I want to take it even further. Today, we're at a point in our history where the wealth that we've created has been unprecedented. Mm -hmm. The growth and the evolution rates that we're witnessing is Mm mind-boggling, but also the amount of mental health problems, depression, uh, people that are stressing about their money is also going and skyrocketing. So there is here a disconnect that happens at the social level. And the data is all supporting that mental disconnect because you're looking at like the the house debt data, especially in this country. You're looking at the uh, the, the percentage of uh, disposable income going to housing and debt maintenance. And it is a frightening portrait, quite honestly. And it's not surprising that it is a stress point for people. So you see why, Jason, I say that we need a renaissance of the advisory profession, because we have a real social problem that's happening in real time, where if we don't have the right leadership to help people make better decisions, to create more well-being... More money is not the solution. Mm -hmm. It's how we act with the money that we have and how we build a life of meaning and purpose that will have a tremendous impact on the people's quality of life. And uh, this is why I'm very excited uh, to be at this point in time, uh, part of this innovation, this inflection point, because I feel the next five to 10 years are going to be a big renaissance. And and it's interesting because I look at like what you're saying, your attitude towards all this, some of the messaging you have on your website about active management, SPIVA, SPIVA reports, and, you know, how difficult it is to, you know, when people thought their job was, which the beat, some people still do, to beat benchmarks yeah. and the data that doesn't support it. Yet all the data supports that we are so good at providing other value when we, when we turn our mind to it. And you're basically saying, hey, we're in this disruption point where all what, what everybody thought the traditional value proposition was, it's being disproven and it's being commoditized and it's being beaten down to the point where it's not a sustainable business model anymore. It's not going to be going forward. And it's the opportunity to take ourselves and reinvent ourselves along the paradigms of the weird places we do add value. And I, I, I share that that belief and that message you know, wholeheartedly. Thank you, thank you very much, Jason, uh, for uh, uh, like like believing in this direction. And it's I'm very happy to see that there are, there are advisors that believe in fighting the battle that they can win because it's going to benefit the consumer, the yeah. advisor, and the economy. Yeah. But I want to share with you something that's interesting too. For someone that has been used to do things for the last 20 years. Change is not easy. It's not easy. We have this love-hate relationship with change. Uh, Change is the only constant in life. But in reality, we want to become better, but it brings with a a certain level of uncertainty. Our biology is not not made for change. Like our, you know, I said this before on the show, the human brain uses less energy and uses uses about as much energy as a light bulb, okay? It uses less energy to follow a path that it's done before than it does to seek out a new one, which means understanding a new paradigm. So we are actually meant to live off very little energy and it takes more energy to think and create something new and change than it does to just fall into an old habit. And you hear the path of least resistance. It happens uh, in your brain as well. <laughs> urine, urine that fire yeah. together yeah. end up actually creating a neural network. Exactly. And, and uh, so, so it's in our biology and especially at a time where the world is changing much faster than our biology is, adopt- is adapting. You're not built for this world. That's for so, sure. <laughs> so the world is changing much faster. Yeah. 
So if you start thinking and you look at all uh, these moving pieces, the real question that we should be raising is what is it going to take to make advisors comfortable to let go a battle they used to fight in the past and they thought was the right battle and take on the battle that every single client need them to fight. So that's a big question. And this is something that keeps me up I at night. I have my theories on that. We'll <laughs> talk about that offline. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean, I, I look at it and I think to myself, I mean, this is in so many ways the most fulfilling job imaginable, right? Like how many, how many careers, I mean, doctors save lives, but like we, we help form them in a lot of ways, right? And, we, yeah. and at our best, we were one of the first calls when someone, you know, recent cases in my life, you know, someone in the family had a catastrophic accident. I don't know how to deal with the disability forms. Don't worry about that. I will get stuff together. You worry about the family member. I'll come by the hospital tomorrow. At what point, what fee is reasonable for me to charge for something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Where is, where, like, where is my value proposition eroded there? Or uh, another one was recently was a, a father was uh, diagnosed with cognitive impairment, needed to go into a facility. They were worried about the retirement plan. Like, can we sustain this ridiculously high cost of the facility? And it's like, look, we did a plan six months ago. The good news is, is that, guess what? That travel expense just did this. Yeah. That, that one went like this. He's perfectly fine for the rest of his life, right? And, and just that, taking away that stress, stress is bad enough in the average day. But those peak levels in your life when it is, and when someone can come along and forget, you know, when things go good, we help people succeed. 100%. When things go bad, we help people offload that responsibility. 100%. Yeah. And, and uh, let me give you a heart-to-heart. Go for it. Let's go. It's been already a little bit of a heart-to-heart. Yeah, so. but, but yeah. Let, let, let me get, go. Uh, and let's actually face a few things. You see these moments that you describe, and I can have so many others of them, like, like, whenever one of those spouses passes away. God, yeah. And when you have this personal tragedy that's often even uh, accentuated with uh, the financial stress and mm-hmm. you're, n- you're near the surviving spouse, yep. how meaningful are these moments where yeah. you, you, you really feel that uh, our profession has so much meaning? Yeah. But now the heart to heart. Well, I joke that the tissue boxes are in, the op- are in my office is not because of returns, but because life happens along the way. 100%. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Every single business has a rule, which is the 80-20 rule. Yep. And the 80-20 rule means that 20% of your clients, in in that case, often generate the biggest amount of your revenue. Mm -hmm. So as much as you want to serve them all equally, physically, financially, bandwidth-wise, there could be some challenges because we cannot multiply ourselves throughout every single situation. And beyond that, I mean, you know, either, I think we've talked about the Dunbar number and the ability to hold only so many relationships in your head at any given time. I mean, you have 50 to 100 households, the phone rings, you know the situation. You have 300 households, the phone rings, you're like, CRM, what's going on? Oh, that's the person. Okay, I remember that situation. Pick up. You know, like it's... Yeah. So, 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 so this is the first thing that I want to share with you, Jason, pertaining to, we all have this noble calling to be the best person we can, but we have mm-hmm. physical limitations mm-hmm. because of time and bandwidth and so on. But also human beings in general, uh, we don't, we have all off days. We cannot be always perfect. We're humans. Nope. Sometimes we will not be able to put our best foot forward. But what if there's a way where when you put your best plan forward, you can document it and multiply it for other people with similar needs. And irrespective of uh, what's happening on a particular day, you have technology that enables you to multiply that at scale. Yeah. It's this funny. It's, it's, it's a similar act we have taken in my business. Like, for example, we've had, when we've had like unique client situations, like one that comes to mind was a uh, highly paid executive gets headhunted by another one, right? So he's got all these benefits he's leaving behind the other company and he's got all these benefits he's receiving from the other, from the new company and tax implications and whatever. And we're like, 
okay, just we're gonna look over both contracts. We're gonna figure it out. And we coached them on like, this is what you're leaving behind. This is what you're making. This is, you know, here's the net benefit, blah, blah, blah. And you know, the enormous value that was to them. I'm like, okay, guess what? We have a new product and service that we can basically market, right? Perfect. And I codify the entire thing and you know, the spreadsheets are ready to go. And next time it happens, it's there. I do not believe in, in, in heavy lifting twice. I'd like to do it once. So that, that's exactly yeah. it. And I think advisors need to understand that their biggest key success factor yeah. to compete is that conclusion that you exactly. just shared. Is that it's gonna happen more than once. So you may as well learn it the first time and nail it the second time. For me, a, a perfect example that we just talked about, when, when one of the spouses passes away, yeah. How often this happens in a couple? hundred percent of the time. <laughs> it's gonna always gonna happen. One hundred percent of the time, all divorces, all, sorry, all marriages end one way or another, and death is kind of the best case scenario. Unfortunately. So, 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 yeah. so imagine that every time that something like this happens, the client deals this with a completely a new event, and rightfully so. But the advisor shouldn't be redoing everything from the beginning, like we need a death certificate, we need an authorized will, and all the things that are a checklist. That I already have do. copies of that stuff. I mean, <laughs> you're following yeah. me? So, yeah. so this sequence of events that need to be triggered whenever something happens cannot be met as it's a first-time occurrence no. when it's not. No. And uh, start thinking about many trivial events like renewing a driver license when it expires, uh, renewing a KYC, uh, <laughs> following through on an insurance policy uh, yep. uh, that, that that's reaching its term, uh, corporate uh, year-end, a will uh, yep. that uh, should be renewed every or looked at every, every five years, years yeah. a couple of years, so depending on where people are in the life cycle. So all these things that happen systematically, if they're still being done manually, it's very hard to be present in yeah. these key moments just because we're bugged down. Absolutely. Excellent. So before we wrap up, I mean, two things. I want to summarize your platform. Basically, you're a platform that enables greater collaboration between advisors and, and clients by doing kind of two-way communication, putting out messages to those who should be having it, so that one-to-some conversation, collecting triggers and collecting behaviors that lead us to better understand those clients to then create that feedback loop of better communication, better relationships and do that. So I just wanted to sum that up for people. Before we finish up, there's three questions I ask everybody and I think you're going to have some energetic ones for me, um, so responses for me. So the first one is, if you had one wish as to something you could change in your industry or your company, what would it be? I'm going to put some thoughts into this one because... Everybody has to think on this question. So okay. yeah, it comes yeah, out of left yeah. field. <laughs> yeah. The rate of adoption of financial institutions. <laughs> You're not the first one to say that. Yeah. No. And in a way, when I mean adoption, I mean real, meaningful adoption, where yeah. it's an ultimate partnership, where it's not something that we say we want to innovate. It's like we're really rolling up our yeah. sleeves. Not only are we we're doing this, we're training everybody on it. We're going to make them use it. We're going to incentivize them to use it. All of that. Yeah. Yes. So for me, this is, this is big because... I generally believe that this is not a problem that fintechs are going to solve on their own, but it's also not a problem that financial institutions can solve on their own. So we need this type of uh, uh, symbiotic partnership yeah. driven by let's get our hands dirty yeah. and attack the problem because there's too much to lose if we don't. Yeah. There are so many threats that will be coming down the road yeah. and it's important uh, uh, to act on that uh, with, with a certain amount of responsiveness and proactiveness. So let's talk about that because you, you wanted, originally wanted to talk about uh, tech giants versus uh, versus banks and who can win on that one. And I don't know if you heard the, 
last two episodes of my podcast where we specifically talked about tech titans entering the fintech space, uh, but the timing's good. So what are your thoughts on that? Because you said there's too much to lose, and I know what you're, I think I know where you're coming from on this. I actually, I have a, a particular uh, viewpoint on this that I'd like to share with you. Let's, for, an, for, for, for instance, try to uh, uh, look a bit at human behavior in general. And mm. let's say that our objective is to know, we have a noble objective mm. to help people make the right consumption decision, build the wealth that they should be building to feel a certain peace of mind and well-being and have an impact on the, the world that we live in. So this is the objective. It's a lofty objective, but let's say that we're mission-driven and when we build a better society in which we create shared value with the consumer benefits and the financial institution or any business benefit. That said, in order to do that, let's say we need 10 different perspectives on a particular human behavior. Mm-hmm. Let's call that now in a nerdy way, a data set. So, data set of iterations, okay, okay. So, And let's say you need 10 of them. Mm-hmm. Today, I believe that uh, big tech have probably three of uh, these data sets. So data pertaining to what we want, how we consume, mm-hmm. and institutions have three other data sets. Uh, what did we buy, the, the, the investments we hold, and so the transactions we've made. And stuff we can mine in terms of, I mean, I think the next paradigm of risk tolerance is to actually look at people's conduct and and how they manage their own portfolios but yeah so i mean like stuff that they haven't even mined yet is is enormous so 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 if 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 uh, the amazons and yep. the facebooks and all the big techs have one perspective financial institutions have another perspective there's a missing link still that no one has let's call it four pieces of data that are really what people end up doing whenever they leave an actual meeting and mm-hmm. they say i'm going to do a will have they done it and many other examples that happen in the offline world that right now we don't have a lot of perspective on. What's Mm -hmm. happening between the advisor and the client? Because often we look at the symptom of things. We don't know the underlying root. And I strongly believe that uh, the first uh, businesses that will capture this missing link of data is going to enable the rest of the transactional data and consumption data that we have to be augmented mm-hmm. by the real impactful so actionable whoever captures Whoever figures out how to capture the offline data that we're not capturing currently in that entire equation 100%. is going to be able to bridge that gap. Yes. Interesting. I would tend to agree that that is a missing piece of the puzzle, and I think that there is an opportunity there. So second major question, what has been the biggest challenge in getting to where you are today with your company? Focus. And I will tell you (laughs) why. I'll tell you why. The biggest challenge is that we started wanting to do a lot for the advisor. So we listened a lot to a lot of the pain points that the advisor had and wanted Mm -hmm. to build something that was so complete. And uh, it actually diluted our uh, development efforts. Then we came to focus on really what matters the most based on the data that we've collected on our platform. What are really advisors and yeah. clients clicking This is what on? they claim they want, but yeah. This is what happened on the ground. This is what happens to so many companies. And for us, we came to a very simple definition of what we do. Anything that strengthens the relationship between the advisor and the client is what matters to us. And by the way, there's a lot of things. CRM is a way to manage the relationship internally 
uh, they tell you about net promoter score. Mm -hmm. It's another way to evaluate how much your client appreciates you. Yeah. But there's nothing out there to really strengthen the relationship. By the way, the relationship with the client is the most important asset of an advisory practice. We want to yep. think it's the advisor, but the advisor no. is the second asset after the client. Yeah. We're the one that converts that relationship into, into something of value. Ex yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this is where we decided to focus only on that. What can strengthen the relationship? And we came to the conclusion that we need three things. We need our touchpoint technology to create this digital interaction between the advisor and the client. We need a timeline to visualize what has happened in the past mm -hmm. and what's going to happen in the future. And as both the advisor and the client interact on these two pieces of technology, we need to convert that into behavioral intelligence to enable the advisor to give their best ideas at scale. Fantastic. And you know what? It's an old saying about business. You're going to die. You're more likely to die of indigestion than you are of, uh, of starvation. Yes. Uh, and yeah, it's so often it's, you know, especially, you know, people, it's the old Steve Jobs thing too, about uh, when they ask him, if, should we, should we pull people to what they want on a phone? He's like, no, they don't know what they want on the phone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it, so basically they say one thing, they want on a faster horse, whatever it is, but they really meant something else and they don't know until they see it. Agreed. So the last question for you is what excites you the most about what you're working on, the business, the industry in general, what gets you out of bed every morning to keep fighting the good fight? Good questions. Yeah. You kept the deep one for the end. I always keep the deep you ones for the, the deep end. You kept the deep one for the end. Everybody's always like, whoa, okay, I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, I feel that we are at a point where today there could be this uh, intersection of artificial intelligence with the understanding of human nature and wealth management yep. that can create a whole different uh, behavioral model for society, even more different social physics in the way the business and the consumer, the consumer and the, uh, their consumption, yep. the way we're all behaving with each other is going to change. And I believe there will be new paradigms mm -hmm. of doing business, more shared value. Things we never uh, dreamt of at this point. I agree. Exactly. Okay. I believe that there will be new companies that will be fixing some real problems and rightfully earning a profit as they do that in yep. order to increase their sphere of influence and help more people. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's uh, this uh, dynamic that makes me feel that uh, what we're doing right now is the worthy battle. And uh, people like you that are motivated to bring mm -hmm. the awareness to this changing world, we're seeing more and more movement where we want to enlighten others mm -hmm. and we're getting the right evidence-based understanding in order to do so. So it's this intersection of the advancement of knowledge with the position and stance of some people that want to have a real impact on the world that we live in together mm -hmm. that uh, makes me feel excited. Mm -hmm. Chad, thank you very much. Uh, this was one of the longer ones and I'm sure people will enjoy it. It's nice. Uh, it was a great conversation. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. So that was my interview with Jad Shalari. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, as you can see, we really get along and share a lot of views having both come from similar places. So um, as always, I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, please uh, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'm Jason Pereira. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.